0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn. I'm Darshan Johan. Last week, Malaysia held its first trial under the anti-stalking law. Mohamed Safiq was on trial for stalking photographer Akasia Doubt for eight years. However, Safiq was acquitted and discharged by the court as the court ruled that he was of unsound mind. It is important to note that Safik was ordered to be held at Hospital Bagia Ulu Kinta in Perak at the pleasure of the Sultan of Selangor. So what does the court ruling mean? What is its potential impact on future stalking cases? Joining me on the show to unpack this is Lillian Cox. She's the Programme Manager at the All Women's Action Society. Awam, welcome back to the show Lillian. How are you?
1: Hi, Tarshan. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Happy New Year as well.
0: Happy New Year to you too, <laughs> Lillian. Now, <laughs> this was the first anti-stalking um, trial in Malaysia. Could you provide a summary uh, of the backstory, um, you know, stalking incidents and harassment endured by photographer Akasia Mardinana Daud?
1: Pretty much, we know that in 2023... Uh, the Malaysian government passed the law on uh, stalking that that will make it a criminal offence. Huh? So this year, um, as we ushered the new year, we also saw the uh, development of the first ever stalking case that went on trial uh, involving the case of uh, Akasha Dawood, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, what has happened was we knew that she has been suffering... Um, uh, suffering as a victim of stalking for the past eight years, she has felt unsafe, and um, uh, this uh, this stalking does not only include um, the repetitive uh, action of following her around, but it's also unsolicited messages and uh, mess- uh, messages that is um, that has a sexual harassment uh, nature to it as well. So after a long time of enduring um, his stalking, the perpetrator's stalking. And this also includes him following her overseas all the way to the United Kingdom. And that itself uh, really created an impact for her. And in 2023, she was able to, um, to, to, to have legal redress on the matter with the uh, when the Stalking Act was passed and her case was taken to trial. So we you know, know that uh, that happened, and we are also aware that um, despite all her despite her trauma, she has also assisted the government in trying to uh, establish a, um, a a conducive anti stalking act that has led to this today, lah. um
0: How has Acacia been affected by the stalking incidents, and what did her victim impact statement reveal? About the emotional and psychological toll of this entire eight-year ordeal, uh,
1: she disclosed to the magistrate that um, she has uh, lodged police reports, and it was uh, only after several reports that the police the police decided to take action against the accused. Right, and uh, in her testimony, uh, it was reported that she experienced severe trauma and the fear. For her safety, until that it obstructed her daily her daily routine, like work, her activities, her daily activities, and it also created a sense of uh, sense of fear for how she will uh how she will live in the future. So she did mention as well that she lives in fear, and in a sense, what she has mentioned in her testimony has created. Uh, we know that it has created a sense of anxiety. For, uh acacia so life as she knew may not be the same anymore she may um you know she may be she did mention that she is currently living in constant fear and whatnot so these are the kind of uh effect that will impact victims of stalking if they um if there is no matter of redress and if uh, no fair justice is being served to the perpetrator to stop the act on its own. And then also we have the after treatment of it. So now that we know the perpetrator is um, will be put away indefinitely in uh, in Hospital Bahagia, but what are the treatments um, will we have for acacia and future survivors of stalking? How can we assist them? So this is also uh, something that we have to look at, but... Definitely, for now, um, it will be very difficult for anybody who has experienced stalking to be uh, to live the life as they know uh, before.
0: Before we talk about the court ruling, refresh our minds um, on the details of the anti-stalking law because stalking wasn't. Um, technically a crime in Malaysia until most recently, April 2023, when we finally had an anti-stalking law. Um, What constitutes stalking in Malaysia?
1: Okay, so under the newly added provision in the Penal Code, Section 507A Mm -hmm. defines stalking as uh, repeatedly by any act of harassment intending to cause or knowing or ought to know that the act is likely to cause distress Fear or alarm to any person or the person's safety. So, in this aspect, the this section does not require for the survivor or the victim to be aware of who the identity of stalker is. Um, and it also states that the uh, perpetrator or the stalker um, does not necessarily have to know how whether the um, whether the victim feels uh, distress or fear or alarm. It is just sufficient that the perpetrator uh, ought to know that the action w- are very likely to cause those kind of emotions.
0: Right. So, with that in mind, what were your immediate or uh, overall thoughts on the court's ruling?
1: So, the court has ruled uh, the perpetrator of unsung mind, uh, leading that the, uh, the defence has successfully proven uh, that the perpetrator was not uh, was not in the right state of mind right now, leading uh, leading to the definition earlier as I've mentioned that uh, the perpetrator in this case did not know because of the defence of uh, of unsound mind. The perpetrator had no awareness or did not ought to know that his act was uh, causing stress or was uh, or was any form of stopping in. Uh, uh, uh in that time in that time of his mind last. so i think we saw that also throughout the case in what was said that uh that the uh the forensic psychiatrist who was also the defense witness uh dr anthony also believed that uh he he was uh, suffering from schizophrenia as i believe right that was what it was mentioned and i guess what uh, what was the deciding factor of the courts at that time was when the uh, the doctor mentioned that uh, he needed medication and psychotherapy as the symptoms have been presented for a long time. So I guess because of that, uh, this uh, the perpetrator here did not uh, did not get the punitive measure that is expected of the three years and the sentence and everything. However, um, the perpetrator was uh, sentenced to have a stay at Hospital Baha here at the pleasure of the Sultan of Selangor, which is, uh, for a a case of this precedence, uh, this is probably what uh, the overall interpretation, this is probably what the best that we can expect for now.
0: So let's dive into that a little bit more because, um, you know, the headlines reads that, um, you know, Suffolk was acquitted and discharged by the court um, as the court ruled that he was of unsound mind. But you brought up something very important that, um, you know, it's not that Safiq is essentially roaming around. Um, he was ordered to be held at Hospital Bagia Ulu Kinta in Perak at the pleasure of the Sultan of Slango. What exactly does this mean? At the pleasure of the Sultan of Slango?
1: Right. So, uh, understandably, this is uh, this kind of ruling is not something that we as Malaysians hear it every day. Uh, however, what it fundamentally means is that at the pleasure of the Sultan of Slango suggests that the perpetrator has been ordered to be held in the Hospital Bahadir under the discretion, entirely at the discretion and the will of the authority. So in this case, the Sultan Selangor. So this means that there is no minimum time, there is no maximum time. Should the uh, Fawcett Authority uh, deems necessary and appropriate and it's a uh, okay condition to release... Uh, to release the uh, the perpetrator, then it shall be as such, lah. However, if um, if as authority does not feel um, that the individual is ready, ready yet or is prepared yet, and uh, there will be still held there indefinitely. So, it is akin to a jail sentence uh, with no time time frame.
0: Right. So, it's akin to a jail sentence with no time frame in a hospital. Um, I want to dive a little bit more into what all of that means, but let's go for a quick break. On the show with me today is Lillian Kok. She's the Program Manager of the All Women's Action Society. We will continue our conversation after these messages. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Darshan Johan and on the show with me today is Lillian Kok. She's the Programme Manager at the All Women's Action Society AWAM and we're discussing Malaysia's first anti-stalking trial. Um, So, Lillian, what implications does the court's decision to acquit and discharge Safik on the grounds of mental disorder um, have for future cases involving stalking and harassment in Malaysia? Because, um you know it while he's not technically free um, you know he does have to stay in the hospital at the pleasure of the sultan of slango which means he basically has to be in the hospital indefinitely um, what does this mean because the court still ruled that you know he is of unsound mind and he acquit, and they acquitted and discharged Suffolk. i'm wondering if there's any implications on future cases
1: so there is a discussion on how this case would uh, impact the, uh, the, the conversation and the narratives of mental health and uh, crimes like stalking, All right? So stop, so since we're talking about stalking, I'll just stay at that. But mm-hmm. again, it, it falls back to the, uh, the whole conversation about how mental health is uh, can be used as a defense on certain crimes and then the stigmatisation of mental health then, okay? So how can this? Uh, how can mental health disorder uh, as a defence can contribute to stigmatisation? And it can perpetuate misunderstanding and discrimination against individuals with genuine, genuine uh, struggles, and it also can impact um, real victims who are also struggling uh, with the legal system as well. So in this sense, we feel that uh, this case... This uh, case has allowed uh, everybody, so CSO, legislators, uh, and then the authorities as well, to have a review and to improve the SOP for for better implementation and to better assess what defines and how we define uh, if the person is of unsound mind when they commit a crime such as stalking. Because we we also know that stalking is an obsession, is a is is they are obsessed. The perpetrator is obsessed. Um, how well can they control this obsession? How how much do they understand that this particular obsession is causing harm to someone else? So these are the things that these are the nuances that I feel uh, we need to review and take into account. And we will learn that as we as we go as we get more cases to work on. Uh, I would see. and also uh, that itself already creates a narration of public perception. So public perception on uh, stalking victims and perpetrators will be influenced as we go, as we proceed uh, moving on, on how these cases are being addressed. So the next person who reports about stalking, how that case is being managed, um, it, also, it also influence how much the public uh, is supportive or has faith towards the penal code when it comes to address stalking. And it leads to uh, one of the questions that you asked earlier, right? Trust, trust in the community, trust in the legal system. As we understand, uh, it will will be very difficult for Akesa to trust everyone because she also has mentioned in the witness statement that uh, it's very difficult to to meet new people and socialize right now. So this is what we want to try to enforce uh, in our society when we have, an act in our penal code like that. The trust to implement the the act properly and holistically. So this is something that we can look into.
0: Is there fear among um, civil society, especially um, women's aid organizations, um, um, women's uh, people who fight for women's rights, such as yourselves, that and, and um, that this ruling by the court? May have an adverse effect in the sense that it may deter future um, victims from, you know, reporting. For example, because you mentioned trust in the system, um, you know, do you fear that some people might look at this judgment, look at this ruling, and say, you know, this is why I don't report you know, um, you know, things are not going to work in my way, you know, I'm going to get all this media attention, for example, Um, there's going to be a lot of noise. But at the end of the day, um, there is no justice or perceived justice. How do you see this? And if there is a a fear that this may deter people from reporting, um, how do we overcome that? So
1: uh, we do not, we as the women's group, definitely we do not have any uh fear about uh, people's concern about underreporting, because we also see that in all the various cases that we are dealing with, like sexual harassment, domestic violence. And we know why this fear uh exists. We know why there is uh, a fear and distrust within the community to make a formal report, to make an official report. And it is in our job as CSO to to work with authorities to remedy that, right? So uh, all of us have our role. Uh, Legislators have their role to make the laws. Uh, Authorities have the role to implement these laws. And us as the CSOs, we have the role of managing expectations of the community and the authorities and legislators uh, to find the best way for us, how we can implement it holistically, because there are various levels of people in our community that we need to address and register. So, what is the best way we can work uh, for that? Right. So the, that is our role, and we diligently do that every day. So I believe that uh, WAO, who is championing, who is championing this anti-stalking. Um, Act itself, they are working on the implementation stage right now with the authorities. So we need, and we want to encourage uh, everybody to report, to embrace, and to embrace this new provision. If you are, have the fear of being stopped, or if you are being stopped, if you know you are being stopped, right? Uh, even if you don't know, there are signs. Signs like maybe your social media, uh, you have excessive messages in your social media, or if you feel that, uh, do not fear to make a report. You can call any uh, organization such as WAO or AWAM itself, uh, discuss with us what you're facing, and we will guide you step by step to identify what needs to be done. So in that sense, we are here to help everybody, and we are diligently looking to improve our laws, just like any other laws pertaining uh, human rights and women's rights in Malaysia.
0: So, speaking of improving the law, um, in light of this case, do you think there are any gaps or shortcomings um, in this existing legal framework or the existing laws regarding stalking in Malaysia? How can we improve upon it?
1: I think uh, for this case, uh, as the first uh, for stalking itself, right? And in relation to the first uh, precedents that happened, mm-hmm. uh, we see that uh, should someone be ruled out, uh, to be mentally unsound, then they would not uh, have any punitive measures taken against them. Uh, however, in the in the sense of stalking, sometimes uh, victims do not necessarily want punitive measures because they do understand that there is uh, that there is the probability of the perpetrator being really of an unsound mind. But how is this being defined, right? How is, where do we, how, what are the requirements uh, that, that we, that needs to go through that we decide, okay, this person is of an unsound mind. And then, uh, therefore, this action shall be taken. So where is that threshold? Mm -hmm. So I feel that uh, we still have a lot of uh, engagement to go. A lot of things to talk about, a lot of things to experience, a lot of things to go through. And uh, we we are very optimistic. About the fact that we already have this uh, act to counter it is already a good start. So we are very positive. Yes. And we encourage all Malaysians, men and women, uh, to not be afraid and to, uh, yeah, to, to uh, help us help you yeah. in that sense.
0: Before we wrap this conversation up, Lillian, would you have a final message for us?
1: Uh, yes, uh, please do not fear. Do not live in fear. Again, as I've mentioned, if you if, if you are if you feel that you are being uh, stopped or if you are not sure, but you feel a certain discomfort, there's a nagging feeling in your head. Do not hesitate to call any one of us at AWAM or WAO or WCC, or you can even call Talya Kase as well uh, to have a discussion. We don't necessarily only help you when you are in distress, but We also help you to identify your discomfort if you have any. So uh, feel free to speak up and uh, it is safe to speak up with us. Thank
0: you. Lillian, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Lillian Kok. She's the Program Manager at the All Women's Action Society AWAM. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dustin Johan and this has been Live and Learn BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.